boy Rodney Perry. You're tuning in to Rodney Perry Live. Hopefully you can hear me loud and clear. It's another Monday, and we are definitely getting in. Manly, I hopefully, can you hear me? Just let me know if you can hear me good because uh, I'm working with a new set of headphones, so I want to make sure that they're working properly. But uh, uh, she said sounds fine. Good, good, good. So we are live and direct, man. Um, got a great show lined up for y'all today. I want to, first of all, before we even get into the show, man, I want to thank you guys for always supporting, man. This show has been going on for, you know, five years plus, and we've had some uh, great guests along the way. And uh, what I'm going to do uh, in the next, in the coming weeks is we're going to put together kind of a, a, a best of, you know, when I take snippets from all our great guests who've been on the show, and then, you know, those people that call in to make the show great. I got to shout out my mommy, uh, Miss Venice Coleman. Uh, she uh, just graduated. She graduated, uh, got a master's degree, uh, Master of Divinity uh, from the ITC here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I, I can't tell you enough how proud I am, man. It was a, a long road. You know, her health has suffered, and but she got it done. And now we can we can focus on the next chapter. So uh, shout out to my mama, Mama Venice. Great, great job. Very, very proud, very proud of you and everything you got going on. Uh, the tour dates. Uh, well, first of all, we got to thank the Virginia Beach Funny Bone. They were great to us. We had a wonderful time out there. And as we speak, uh, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the William Wilson Celebrity Golf Invitational. I don't even know how I got invited to this because I don't even play golf like that. You know, but I I guess I've I've managed to qualify myself as a celebrity. <laughs> I I just I don't know when this happened either, but um so I'm excited about that though, man. Uh, charities go to uh, uh autism. They also go to uh you know spousal abuse and things of that nature. So uh, shouts out to William Wilson, excellent clothing designer too. If you're in the Charlotte area anywhere, man, this guy has some uh some clothes that's just crazy. Um and then uh, May twenty second. Rock Comedy is back at the Hard Rock Cafe. I got some of my favorite comedy buddies coming through. And I even talked to one of my poetry homegirls from Naptown, Indianapolis. Um, she may come through, too. So y'all get ready for that. Tommy Tease is coming up the road. And then, y'all been asking me, when is the next uh, next class for Never Deny Next Level? Our session three begins, uh, that's June 18th. June 18th begins a six-week period. Uh, and uh, I cannot wait to get that started. And um, and and y'all watch. Go to my page, my website, RodneyPerry.com. That'll give you all information about all the upcoming events. We got a great, great show lined up for you today. We're talking about the ABFF. You cannot begin to talk black film now without talking about the ABFF. It's it's where our films have a place, have a home. And the ABFF has really been a champion to those of us of color, whether you're an actor, you're a producer, you're a director. If you don't know about the ABFF, you're not doing your work in this game. Hey, y'all, this is Rodney Perry. When I come back, <laughs> when I come back, we get to talk to my man Jeff Friday, man. This dude is awesome. He's a visionary. He has the idea, and the idea is way more than an idea now. It's called ABFF. Y'all check this out. Sun, Star Power, and Cinema, the American Black Film Festival, the premier black film festival in the country. For those committed to a career in film, this is absolutely the festival to be in, and this is the city. 
Each summer, more than 2,500 film fans, celebrities, and Hollywood insiders converge on South Beach for movies, hardcore networking, cutting-edge seminars, and groundbreaking panel discussions with some of the industry's finest. What this film festival is all about for filmmakers of color is really about encouraging them to release their voices. We have to make sure that black artists and creators have the same opportunity to bring the product of their imaginations to the attention of the world the way their mainstream counterparts do. Since 1997, the ABFF has provided a platform for the cinematic work of filmmakers of color. ABFF has been incredibly supportive of my career for a long time now. It's a rare thing when you have the best of Hollywood, the best of the cutting-edge talent, and regular people from all over the country, all in one place. Pretty exciting. This has to do with filmmakers. It has to do with creative people and passionate people who have stories to tell. People who want to get in the industry and were locked out or are locked out are working together now to, to create greater access for all of us. The festival's filled with engaging black movies and events, such as Conversations With and HBO Short Film Competition. You know, people are really meticulous. They're more technically oriented. They're more thematically different. Winning the $20,000 prize in this competition can jumpstart a career. I'd like to thank HBO for uh, encouraging us to tell these stories, for uh, giving us validation to these stories, and reminding us that they need to be told. ABFF prides itself in nurturing the next generation, linking Hollywood to the independent film community. Actors, writers, and filmmaking workshops offer hands-on instruction to help you master the craft. The festival culminates with the ABFF Awards, a star-studded awards ceremony where the red carpet is rolled out for attendees and honorees alike, and everyone receives the star treatment. It's been an extraordinary week. I've seen, like, some amazing movies. This is my third ABFF. I love the work. I love the talent that's been exposed here, and, and uh, I, I will come back every year. This is Archon Film Festival, where everybody gets to come together and not just show their films, but to actually celebrate um, the experience of being together. I think any time when we can come together and, and ju just share in the knowledge that we have, it's a great thing. You'd think that, you know, you'd, it would settle in and never be as exciting as it's been, but every year it just gets more and more exciting. Film Life and HBO, partners in creating opportunity and celebrating independent black film. Nobody knows that. So 
because I'm leaving. Wow. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to New York. I'm saying, well, how the hell did a film where there was no black people did the audience award winner be a, a small black film? And Lorenz and Nia weren't big stars back then, you know, back in '97. So really, nobody knew who they were. So really, the idea just came. You know, I said, well, you know, what if we had a black version of Sundance? And that's how how it all happened. And uh, wow. that was that was January '97. Pulled the money together. Uh, we did the first one in June of '97, and we just wanted to do like a black Sundance. And not and not that we identify ourselves with other people's stuff, but I just that was just the point of reference. But uh, you know, and the funny thing is, the first year we had we, we were down in Mexico, down in Acapulco, and uh, we had about 190 people there, man. Because you know, this is this was before Facebook, so it was hard to get the word out. Right. So. And and we got like 14 films, you know. And 17 years later, we got 5,000 people, and we get over a thousand movies. So obviously, you know, there was a need for it. I didn't realize how much of a need for it there was, and how many people really like us are in this business who don't really have an outlet for you know comics, actors, directors, every you know really don't have an outlet for their work. So, you know, I'm I'm proud to be to be a part of it, man. It, it really is one of the things that I'm most proud of in my life that we, we we've given so many people opportunity to to get into this business. Man, I, I think that's one thing we got to talk about is the opportunity because uh, I think a lot of times our voices go unheard, and and a festival like this gives us a voice. And the networking is so crazy. Uh, for anybody that'll listen to this. Just give them a glimpse on the type of people you can network with at this event. All right. So, for example, the, the key to the key to this thing is you don't want to help have a whole lot of people who are you don't want to have everybody in the same boat at an event like this because because basically nobody can help each other, right? So mm-hmm. when we when we did this, the whole model is the, the model is linking Hollywood to the independent film community. So the first thing we did was okay, we got to go get some Hollywood decision makers and some check writers down to the festival. So we brought in HBO the first year as a sponsor. You know, so now this year we got HBO, we got the execs from NBC, we got Nickelodeon, we got CNN Films, we got Warner Brothers, Sony, Fox Searchlight. So basically every studio and every network has major decision makers there. So if you're a director, there are people in development who you can meet. If you're an actor, there are casting directors, all the big agencies, the William Morris people come down. So it really has become that place where if you say you want to be in this business and you don't go, you really got to question how serious you are. Because a lot of us sit around and we talk about our aspirations, but we don't really take that first step. So right now, it, it, it's probably the number one place in the world for people of color to, to, to network. Because it's really hard to get a meeting with somebody in Hollywood if you don't know anybody or you don't have an agent, if you don't currently have an agent. Uh, so, yeah, that's, you know, so that's basically the model, you know, to get everybody from Hollywood down to Florida and just get everybody talking, man. And, that, and it's, that's been the, you know, really the secret to the success over the years. Man, it, it's such a huge success. And I, I want you to speak to this because as I see as an actor, as a comedian, uh, as, I, as I've been looking at the landscape, uh, people of color has really been missing off the landscape for like maybe you know uh, maybe a decade, and and then you see the the resurgence of people like Tyler Perry, uh, of people like Roger Bob who is making movies now. Of now there seems to be a resurgence of blackness in Hollywood. Is that true? Uh, yes. And and and. Uh, and and what has the ABFF done to kind of jumpstart that? 
Well, there's definitely a resurgence, man. We we did a um, we did a survey of all the films like over the last 25 years, and, and and the sweet spot was 1995 and 96 and 97 when we had like Love Jones, Soul Food, How Stella Got a Groove Back. You know, we had all those films in those three or four years. It was like 15, 16 black films a year, and then right. once 2000 hit. Hollywood started saying, well, black films don't make enough money because the, the most of black films prior to Tyler Perry, a, a good black film would make $35 million. So right now right. what's happening is Hollywood studios, they ain't thinking about 35. They're talking about $350 million for Iron Man, and they think about billion-dollar movies. So what is happening is black, black films have gotten too small for Hollywood. But wow. to your point, this year, and not just black, just anything niche, it's Hispanic or whatever, gay, lesbian, Anything that's anything that's focused on a niche audience, studios ain't really checking for right now. That's all about it ain't about race, it's about money. But this year, with Tyler's success the last couple of years, and then uh, 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 Think Like a Man did almost a hundred million dollars. Hollywood is just a bunch of copy. You know, they're creative, but it's a it's a copycat creative business. So now you've got I think there's about thirteen films coming out in 2013 over the course either starring a black person or either directed or produced by a black person. So this is, a good, this, is a, this is the year to be talking about black movies again. You know, and black films are back, and I don't know how long we're going to stay there, but black films in 2013 and 14, we're going to see a lot more black films than we've seen throughout, throughout the 2000s. Uh, and and, and tell me what you think about this. I think that, you know, there are movies out there that's directed by black people that aren't black films. You know, uh, I just watched um, the, the movie with um, the, the the White House movie, and that was uh, um, that was my man, um, uh, my man from Training Day directed. And, that's Antoine. Uh, that's Antoine's yeah. movie. Right. Antoine directed that movie. You see, um, uh, a lot of a lot of good black directors working. Is is it is it pressure on them to create a movie that's not a black movie? No, you know what? It, it, here's the deal. Now, this is this is my big gripe with the business. Now you got a you got Fuqua who's done a couple of movies that weren't necessarily black black films, but you also have um, uh, uh, John Singleton did a fast one of the Fast and Furious movies. Mm-hmm. The Wayans have done those scary scary movies that aren't really black movies, and also, also the big one was uh, F. Barry Gray did the Italian Job, which was a real hot flip film, and and um, and he did the Negotiator. Spike Lee did Inside Man. Yep. Every once in a while, you get a brother that gets a chance to do a non-black movie. Because typically, non-black movies have bigger budgets. That's back to the money piece, right? But you right. always have non-black directors doing black movies. You know, Taylor Hackford did Ray, and you know, so there's always examples of that. So I just think that's one of the inequities in the business that black directors and pro- producers don't really get the money to do stories very often that aren't. And nothing wrong with doing black movies. You know, you know that's not the point I'm making. But they don't really right. often get a chance to do those big budget non African American movies. You know, and that, and that's just now that's a whole other conversation. But you know, you do have a couple of Fuqua did a great job on his on his film this year, and F. Gary Gray killed uh, negotiated Italian his Italian job. So yeah, I'm, I'm such a I'm such an F. Gary F. Gary Gray fan. Um, one one of your mantras, I think, you know, that's awesome, is because Holly wouldn't. Uh, talk to me. Oh, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> talk to me about that, man. I, I think that was 
that was the most awesome thing I read in your bio is because Hollywood and, and then that, that you went and did it. You know, it's the whole the whole thing, man. You know, when, when you look at when you look at things in this business and, and equities in this business, and you know, uh, another one every every weekend there's a new white young movie star. You know, somebody yes. pops up. You put them in a big movie, and where did Ryan Gosling come from? <laughs> You know, and no, I, I, hey, I've been asking myself that for six months. Right, you know, and, and so every week there's a new and and the Brad, the guy from the hangar, every week month there's a new black star. So one of my next my my really issues with is just we people of color just don't get their fair shake in this business, you know. So rather than sit around around and complain about what we don't like, the the whole because Hollywood was like the the, the mantra, the, the the rallying cry, like let's just figure it out, you know. Uh, you know, when, if you want to point the finger back at us, we need to figure out how to be more collaborative, you know. Yeah. You know, my, my white friends work together more than my black friends do. I'm just going to call like I see it. So, you know, wow. there, there's a lot we can do about this space. I would I would argue that black people are probably the most creative people on this earth, you know. So why, why aren't we collaborating to, to build, to create studios and make movies? And there's some black folks with money, too. This ain't about money, really, because some of us got some money. You know, so the, because Hollywood was really just to get people thinking, like, you know, let's stop complaining, and everything that Hollywood doesn't do creates a new opportunity for us to do. And, uh, you know, that was that, that just wasn't for my company. That was really for us to all kind of a, a point for everybody to think about, you know, like don't complain about it, you know, do something about it. And everything, that every dime they leave on the table is, a, is, a, is an opportunity for us to make some money. And Tyler Perry is, is the uh, living proof of that, whether you like his movies or not. You know, he's doing his thing. You, you know, I say that all the time. I say, whether you like Tyler Perry and his brand of film, well, well, let, let me give you this before I make that point. I think that people of color, we don't get the luxury of genre. Like, when you're, when you're a, a non-black, you, you get to exist in your little world. Will Ferrell makes adult movies for uh, males 25 to 40. Right, it's a very right. niche audience, but and so so white people of or other people get the luxury of genre. If you're a black person, you have to affect everybody in the world that's black, all at once. But that's that's more, that's more about numbers because if you look at the population of the United States, so if if it's 300 million people and and I don't know what percentage of all Caucasians. But say half of half of those people are Caucasian. So, okay. so when you take when you take Will Farrell's wacky comedy thing, Will Farrell's wacky comedy thing, he's still working off of off of off of half the population. He's niching it, so he's making a little small. Wow. Black okay. is already the niche. So black is already too small. So when you take black and then you go when you niche black, that <laughs> you may. Black is about 11 or 12 percent of the country. So when you cut that into a third, now you're dealing with too small of a niche. So you can take okay. the general market and niche it, and you still have a significant amount of people. So you're right. So, what, Tyler, what Tyler Perry did is he kind of said, "I'm going for every black church-going person, you know, faith, faith, you know, uh, faith-following person between 18 and 54. I'm going to try to get everybody." And that's kind of how he's made his money. Just Speaking to the general black population. Okay, now, now, Jeff, that brings me to the next question, and and I constantly hear this. You talk to, to the Hollywood big wigs, is that our movies don't travel, which means 
they don't we, we aren't global. So is that the way for us to conquer the United States niche of our eleven or twelve percent is to go global with yes. the way we create? Yes. I, I was on a call last night with some brothers from a network in South Africa and and from what I understand there's a lot of interest in black uh, African American uh, uh content in Nigeria. South Africa, mm-hmm. and also some markets in Europe like Spain and France. So the way that we take our 12% and make it 50% is we got to step outside the the, the, uh, the borders of the United States and find ways to market our movies internationally. That's that, that's exactly how that's exactly how we get. Now the, the challenge with that is you got language issues and there's some nuances mm-hmm. about black and black culture that dramas may not work. But I know comedies, typically comedies will work very well. In fact, Kevin Hart. But I want to say did a like a thirty country tour and a twelve country whatever it was and he killed it because comedy oh, yeah. particularly Kevin's type of comedy comedy teams seem to try. I don't know if I don't know if Love Jones travels to Nigeria. I just don't know that. You know. Yeah, uh, right. Just, you can see <laughs> you see the Nigerian brother. Why did you wait for her? <laughs> right, right, what, right. Why yeah. why would you do that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, wow. so when you think of when you think about traveling, you always got to just be mindful. That's why you got to you got to be a producer. You know, as, as an independent filmmaker, you got to be a, a director, producer, distributor, marketer. You really got to wear every hat. You cannot just think about the the uh, the artistic side of what you do. That's why so many filmmakers end up with movies that they can't sell because they just thinking emotionally and artistically and creatively, and that's not really what it's about. This is a, this is a distribution game. Yeah. Now, 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 Jeff, let's talk about that because as I look at the landscape of Hollywood, that's one thing that I've always noticed. That's the one business that black people are just not in. We we don't dispute. We're not in the business of getting our product to the end user, which is us. But I think with 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 us with the with the situation now with the internet, uh, digital downloads, that that's allowing us to get into that game. Is that true? Yeah, well, VOD is is allowing us to get into the game, but the pro, but the challenge is really the same thing. I mean, the companies with the big infrastructures are the companies that are going to win. So it's really yes, you can sell your movie online, you can have it streamed, but you know you you'll never be able to compete with what Warner Brothers does in that space and what Hulu mm. is doing in that space and Amazon. So it's it's still a big boy, you know, you know. Now the VOD space is a new frontier, but the big boys are still on iTunes. You know, how do you compete with all that? You know, it's still right. the infrastructure. The infrastructure they have to do it, you still really do need to deal with. What a lot of filmmakers do now is they 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 do output deals with larger companies. Like you develop, you know, Rodney Perry films, and then you do an output deal with with Cold Black or Lionsgate or, or Warner Brothers, and they distribute your film. But it's still much easier to have your film distributed through someone with a, with an infrastructure and a sales force, you know, because it's a little tougher to just put it online because you can put it up there, but who knows it's up there. Exactly. You know, so, yeah. it's, it's, you know, with that whole, just that whole video or internet distribution thing, it, it really has not leveled the, honestly, it hasn't leveled the plan. Because the people making money are the same people who are making money theatrically and, and on home video and, <laughs> you know, uh, the best advice I could give, you know, really the filmmakers is, is just make movies at a price point where you can make your money and make some, make some, you know, make some profit because 
I see these filmmakers making these two million dollar independent films, and it really is hard to make your money back from spending too much. Now, now I once read something that said uh, black films never ever lose money. Is that true? Black theatrical black theatrical releases very if you if you study the history of every black film in the last thirty years, very very few. Very few black films that have been put out by studios have lost money because they control the budget on those movies like you would never believe. So, you know, uh, Think Like a Man made $93 million theatrically. Forget all the, the DVD and the BLD sale, but that movie only cost, like, I think it was $11 million. So, right. so the cost controls. Love Jones might have cost seven. How Stella Got a Groove Back might have cost thirteen. Like all those movies, you know, for like a, for like about a, a ten year period, those movies were costing seven to eight million, and they were making thirty five to forty million. So if you got a five times your your your, your budget in, in, in your theatrical, you're already there. That's a, so, that's so, a good the day. Problem, yeah. So that's a great day. But the problem is. They're not losing money. They're just not big enough to get you no stripes and stars. So if you're the head of a studio and you come into your shareholders meeting, you say, well, I just did, I did, uh, uh, I did Soul Food, I did The Best Man, and, you know, they say, well, how much did that make collectively? You say, well, all in total, we made $110 million. And then the other guy says, well, I did The Green Knight, and I made $400 million for one move. You know, it's it's just... Those, those films are not big enough. And except for Think Like a Man that did 95 and a couple of Tyler, Tyler stuff is even cooling off now, you know. Except for right. Tyler stuff, every once in a while we'll have a big hit. But most black movies are not going to make $30 million. If you look at it, go right. to boxoffice.com and whatever it is. You know, so shareholders, chairmen of major studios that, that are controlled by board of directors, they don't really get they don't get that big check. <laughs> you know, if you, if you, if you always look at what CEOs make, you say, damn, they made $42 million a year. And they, they lay people off. But they don't get their big check by doing a bunch of small budget, small small movies making $30 million. And that's really yeah. what it's about. You know, the first time a black movie does $300 million, you will see, you will see black movies. You'll be tired of black movies. Let <laughs> <laughs> a black film do $300 million. No, let a black film do $150 million domestic, and you will see a black film every weekend. It's just about money. Now, do you foresee us seeing that? Will we see that in our lifetime? No, I don't. I don't think so. I, I don't think unless unless the demographics have changed. Unless the, I think you could take like a buddy movie and put a black guy, Hispanic guy, and white guy. You, but that ain't a black film anymore. But a film, a right. film about a film about the black experience, and I'm not talking about ghetto. I'm talking like Soul Food was not about the ghetto. It was a black family, mm-hmm. or, even, or even like um, more recently, This Christmas was about a black family at Christmas. A, a mm-hmm. film about a black household where nothing's blowing up, ain't nobody dying, and you know whatever. That film will never make because everybody's not interested in that. If you can read between the lines, I don't want to say what I'm saying, but you know, everybody's wow. Like, Who wants to see that? But us, <laughs> you know. So now nah, that film's not going to make a hundred million dollars. I don't. So, I don't yeah. so wait, wait, Jeff. It ain't going to be no uh, big black 
wedding. There ain't gonna be no big, no, big black wedding. That ain't happening. Yeah, that ain't happening. But right, we've done that. It was called uh, uh, the film that Paula Pageant last had last year. Uh, yeah, we, yeah. we did that. We just did that. I we forgot did. what it was called. And that made 17 or 20. So we've done that. I forgot what that film was called. But Paula Pagan and Lazarus Alonso, they were Yeah, it was, it was a good movie, that. though. It was a good movie. Good yeah, movie. with D. Ray Davis was in it. D. Ray was great. We, we did that. And you see what happened. And then, it, okay, here's, here's another level. Look at Denzel Washington's movie. As great as he's been, I only think he had $100 million movie. Now explain that to me. Right. But the hangover wow. too the hangover makes two hundred million. You know, but Denzel Washington, a, a damn living legend, I don't think he's had I think he's only had one hundred million dollars, I think. And I was, wow. was more recent and that was one of the more recent ones. I forgot which one it I don't think Slice that, did a hundred million dollars. I don't so. think it did. I don't think no. it did. But that so that, that speaks, so that you, speaks there volumes. You yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Now, now, of course, you know, you know, I'm a comic man. I, I'm looking at the festival. AB, ABFF is going down this year, and y'all got a comedy. Y'all got a comedy competition involved. Tell me about it, man. Yeah, man. You know, we've been, we've been, uh, we've we've had competitions for directors and actors and and writers over the years. And what you know, like one of the the, the, the thing that's most important to us is really developing people and giving people a, a chance to shine and like I said earlier the, the chance to get you know get a, get get put on in the industry. And we just realized that we hadn't done in traditional actors, method acting and comedians a different flow, you know. So we realized we hadn't done anything to help discover uh, up and coming comics and put them in front of uh development people in the in the talent exec. So we just decided to do it this year, man. We had a national search we should have talked to you about this earlier year because we could have got the word out a little bit more. But we had a national search. We got about 300 submissions. Uh, went through two rounds of of, of, conference, of performance, and we down to four finalists. Man, we got four really funny comedians uh, that are going to that are going to perform live at the festival uh, for the first ABFF comedy wings. And the winner gets a gets a, uh, a deal with HBO. So it's going to be hot, man. It's going to be really hot. Wow, man, that's incredible, Jeff. Man, I'm I think that's awesome. Uh, especially in a time when you look at the comedy landscape, there's not a lot of outlets for us to be seen. I mean, there was a time when, you know, you had Def Jam and Comic View and, you know, and, and there were multiple shows where you could see black comedy. But now I think Comic View is talking about coming back. I host a show on Bounce TV. That's it. Not, not a lot. Not a lot at all. You know, and, and honestly, not a lot of comics really work these days. I mean, you know, you got a couple. You got, you know, just the, my my issue with the comics is, for some reason, this industry industry only allows like one of our comics to make any real money at a time. Man. We get one hot one, and then yeah, you know, it's like, why is that? You know, so yeah, man, I, 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 I completely agree, man. I completely yeah, one, agree. One, one, somebody super hot right now is Kevin Hart. You know, obviously, but somebody right. super hot. But it's like kind of one. Ever since came to comedy, it's been one at a time. And it just, and yeah, I don't have, I, I, I have no explanation for that. The, I, I've noticed the same thing, man. And and uh, you know, you know, me and my me and my peers, we talk about it. And I think, I think it's it's not just the industry's fault. It's also our fault because when we get in those spaces to create, 
we don't create. We only create singularly. You know, when you look at um, when you look yeah, at a guy true. like um, you know, well, well, there's a couple of schools of thought. First of all, we're we we just want to be comics. You know, we're not doing the work as an actor. We're not doing the work as a comedic actor all the time. Right. So um, when we do get the opportunities, a lot of us are just not good. <laughs> you know. So then then when you see a guy like Cat Williams or a guy like Kevin Hart that are that are good on camera and they're good as a stand up, you're like, Wow, why it should be more. I want more of this. You know, in in a perfect world I would love to have seen a buddy cop movie with Cat Williams and Kevin Hart. Would that not have been that could have been a hundred million dollar black movie. That might be a hundred million dollar black movie. Exactly. That might be But it. you can't you can't get them in a room together. You can't get the deal done. So here we are back you at well one. You, you, you can't get that is your hundred million dollar movie with a great with a great script, but you can't get them in the room together. Yeah. I tell you, I tell you what, Jeff. If they keep dallying around, Rodney Perry gonna fuck around and get in the limelight, and then we gonna make I'm, money. I'm, I'm waiting for you, brother. You deserve it. You've been doing, you've been doing some great work for a long time, man. You definitely deserve that. So I'm, I'm behind you. Man, you guys create so many uh, great avenues. It's abfl.com. Go to the website. The festival is June 19th through the 23rd. Um, uh, y'all showcase a film I was a part of with Roger Bob last year, Raising Izzy, that did such such great work, and yep, I was proud right. to be part of it. And uh, I also got another movie that I did with Roger Bob that you guys are going to be showcasing this year, along with Kevin Hart. His concert film. What are you looking forward to seeing? You know, it's, like I said, Kevin Hart. We got that world premiere um, of closing night, man. We got a great lineup of films. Uh, one thing I failed, failed to mention is my, my homeboy, Mari Hardwick, is our ambassador this year. So I just wanted to thank him for being a part of that, man. But this, this might be one of the best year for movies, uh, social events. We got the comedy show. We got a conversation with Regina King. Uh, it's all there, man. It's all there. And then on top of that, the backdrop is Miami Beach. So if you want to take a break from all that, you never get bored of Miami. So well, I, I'm, com- I'm coming down, Jeff. I'm coming. I'm going to be there in full effect. Rodney Perry, we're going gonna, we gonna, we gonna to get it in, man. I, I'm anxious because I saw it in L.A., and everybody's like, it was L.A., it was cool, but you really got to go to Miami. Yeah, no, my yeah, LA was LA was nothing like my. You know, we we came to LA for a couple of years because I thought that would make it easier for the industry. But you know, that was one of the mistakes I made because Miami is the Miami is the spot for us, man. It, LA, it was just another LA film fest, you know what I mean? But Miami is just it's just amazing down there. So now you gotta come, yeah. you really gotta come and check it out. It in its true in its true home. Yeah, man, Roger Bob, he, he pulled me to the site. He said, Rod, man, he said, you got to film this festival. There's no reason for you not to go. And uh, yeah. and, I, and I'm off that yeah. week, so uh, we plan on coming down there and really kicking it, man, full steam. All right, brother. I will see you, I will see you in South Beach. I appreciate your time. And I got I got Amari coming on in a minute, too. Hey, y'all, this is Roddy Perry. You're tuned in to Roddy Perry Live. We've been talking to Mr. Jeff Friday, the, uh, the CEO, and the man, the legend, that brought us to ABFF, man. I can't thank you enough for coming on, Jeff. Okay, my pleasure, bro. See you, Miami. No doubt. Be good, man. All right. Hey, y'all. Yeah. It's Rodney Perry. You tuned in to Rodney Perry Live. Y'all stay on the line. We got my man Omari Howard coming on, man. This boy can act. And he's the ambassador of the ABFF, ABFF the American Black Film Festival. Y'all stay right there. We'll be right back. Check this out, man. More of ABFF. 
Sun, Star Power, and Cinema. The American Black Film Festival, the premier black film festival in the country. For those committed to a career in film, this is absolutely the festival to be in, and this is the city. Each summer, more than 2,500 film fans, celebrities, and Hollywood insiders converge on South Beach for movies, hardcore networking, cutting-edge seminars, and groundbreaking panel discussions with some of the industry's finest. What this film festival is all about for filmmakers of color is really about encouraging them to release their voices. We have to make sure that black artists and creators have the same opportunity to bring the product of their imaginations to the attention of the world the way their mainstream counterparts do. Since 1997, the ABFF has provided a platform for the cinematic work of filmmakers of color. ABFF has been incredibly supportive of my career for a long time now. It's a rare thing when you have the best of Hollywood the best of the cutting-edge talent, and regular people from all over the country, all in one place. Pretty exciting. This has to do with filmmakers. It has to do with creative people and passionate people who have stories to tell. People who want to get in the industry and were locked out or are locked out are working together now to, to create greater access for all of us. The festival's filled with engaging black movies and events, such as Conversations With and HBO Short Film Competition. You know, people are really meticulous. They're more Texas-oriented. They're more thematically different. Winning the $20,000 prize in this competition can jumpstart a career. I'd like to thank HBO for uh, encouraging us to tell these stories, for uh, giving us validation to these stories, and reminding us that they need to be told. ABFF prides itself in nurturing the next generation, linking Hollywood to the independent film community. Actors, writers, and filmmaking workshops offer hands-on instruction to help you master the craft. The festival culminates with the ABFF Awards, a star-studded awards ceremony where the red carpet is rolled out for attendees and honorees alike, and everyone receives the star treatment. It's been an extraordinary week. I've seen, like, some amazing movies. This is my third ABFF. I love the work. I love the talent that's been exposed here, and, and uh, I, I will come back every year. This is Archon Film Festival, where everybody gets to come together and not just show their films, but to actually celebrate um, the experience of being together. I think any time where we can come together and, and ju just share in the knowledge that we have, it's a great thing. You'd think that, you know, you'd, it would settle in and never be as exciting as it's been, but every year it just gets more and more exciting. Film Life and HBO, partners in creating opportunity and celebrating independent black film. What's up, everybody around the world? Thanks for tuning in to Rodney Perry Live. Remember to follow Rodney on Twitter, at Rodney Perry. And for all of your Rodney Perry updates, text Rodney Perry, with no spaces, to 41411. Again, to stay up to date, text Rodney Perry, with no spaces, to 41411. If you're looking for the latest in comedy, news, and entertainment, the only place to go is the Humor Mill. Check out the website, humormillmag.com. Humor Meal, the only place for comedy, news, and entertainment. I see you, Frank. Yes, indeed. If you can adjust your ears just for a second, this is not Rodney Perry on Rodney Perry Live. There's been a takeover. Indeed, it has happened. This is the one and only Ryan Evans. I'm going to be your host just for a little while, so lend me your ears if you don't mind. Matter of fact, we're going to change everything up around. I know you think you might about to hear somebody else, you know, right? He said somebody else is coming. That ain't going to happen. I'm taking all the way over. <laughs> I popped up on his radio show. This is from Fresh Off the Pop-Up Tour. I'm taking over Rodney Perry Live. So get ready. Matter of fact, we, what we're going to do, 
we're going to interview a good friend of mine, very good friend of mine. He's been touring the country and everything for quite some time. Very, very good comic, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to explain to everybody how you get a nice room, a nice quality room. I'm glad I said quality. A nice quality room started. My good friend, Mr. Nate Jackson. What's going on? Oh, he's here. My man is here. What's going on, dog? Oh man, I'm chilling, man. Uh, dropping in, I'm, I got to go to this other show, but I am dropping in, man. Now, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for you know tuning in, and thank you for at least giving us a little bit of the word that's out there. Are you on the road right now, right? Uh, I just got back. I just got back from. The, I was up at the Bay Area Black. Ah, uh, yes. For those that don't know, the Bay Area Black Comedy Competition is a very long-running and prestigious competition that they have every year. Matter of fact, you talked to the 2010 winner right here, Mr. Nate Jackson. That's a, that's a, that's oh, yeah. a big feat. That's a big feat. Huh? 200 people from around the country, is it? Uh, no, they take 1,000 entries. I think it was something like 1,000 entries, but then there's like uh, 75 get chosen. Wow, wow. And this is the winner yeah. right here. Rodney yeah, won man. it. Yeah, Rodney's won it. Rodney's won it. Uh, I, I was a finalist. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> and and you did your thing, my brother. I appreciate that, man. I try to make it look like something. <laughs> so, Matt, the, the main thing I want to speak to you about today was uh, I know I've oftentimes seen you. You could be here in Seattle. You could be in L.A. But wherever you are, you have a quality comedy room that you're running. Am I right or am I wrong? You can call it like it is. It's okay. <laughs> you're right. I, uh, the show I have up in Washington State is actually the largest comedy show on the West Coast. It's called Nate Jackson's Super Funny Comedy Show. We did it. Well, one we, more time we, for me, man. Nate Jackson's Super Funny Comedy Show. And you can look it up. Funnycomedyshow.com. That's all right, man. So the, the the main thing, I think a lot of young comics get in the game and they start feeling immediately like i got to have my own so I can find my own niche and things like that. Would you recommend waiting a little while longer or immediately trying to start your room? Do it immediately. And the reason I say they need to do it immediately because as a comic, you know, if you named a bunch of comics around the nation, the ones that you're most familiar with are generally going to be ones that can put some money in your pocket and help you feed your family. And it's right. easy to make a name for yourself nationally if you have a room, and also when you book headliners and stuff, if they have rooms elsewhere, then they'll reciprocate, and therefore you generate road work off of your room in your local area. It's the fastest way to pass whoever's supposed to be the king in the area and, and, the, and the easiest way to remain the king in the area if you already are. Exactly. So uh, I, I, I've had this knowledge. I have made my share of money. Um, in the past three years, I grossed. And if you know gross and net, you understand gross is before I pay out anybody. So I've paid a lot of this money out, but I've grossed about $585,000 off of my just Thursday night room. I heard so, that. So when you pay out, you know, you don't keep all of that, and you pay your taxes and all that on it. So, you know, but still, what comics are generating that kind of income just like going from room to room, show to show, doing gigs? So I just said, you know what, I, I've, I've, I've jumped out here. I've learned a lot of this information. It's not all of it. I know the recipe. I think it can work in any city. Um, I mean, franchises do. Every every business has a franchise in, in all these different cities. Why can't comedy shows that are done right? Exactly. Also, exactly. So I, now, did, you, I wrote a book. I wrote now a book. I was about to ask you about that. You even went so far to write a book, a kind of a, a, a step to or how to get your own successful room started. It's the ABCs of a successful comedy room, right? 
Exactly. It's called Nate Jackson's ABCs of a Successful Comedy. Actually, it's called Nate Jackson Sold Out. The ABCs <laughs> Sold Out. Comedy room. Yeah, we do we do sell out shows. So I like that. Um, so I just and, and it's not necessarily you know each city and every place every deal is different. So it's not somewhere I could just come in and say, listen, if you do A, then you do B, you do C, you do you know you'll get to Z. It's more like here is topic A and here's all the information I know on it. Here's topic B. Here's all the information I know on it. Take this knowledge. Kind of like a blueprint, you know, for starting your room. Kind of like a blueprint, top to bottom. Exactly. Exactly. Here's what comics like. Here's, you know, all the deals, how to save money, how to get a deal, how to book, how to everything. I I give up everything. Everything. Fell in the game. I like it. I like it. Now, what's your your favorite, like, I mean, you tour the country, of course. So what's your favorite spot to, to, what would you recommend? Like, if you're going to start a room, I'm able to move around and be somewhere. Where would you say this is where you want to start your your room at? If you could, if you, in, in, Am I talking to Ryan or am I just saying the general? <laughs> You're talking to the comedy universe, baby. They want to hear. <laughs> well, I think I think that it's a numbers game. So what you want to do if you're going to start a room is go somewhere where there's already a lot of numbers, high foot traffic, near military bases, Air Force bases, near colleges and universities. They have 40,000, 80,000 students in like a nine-block radius. If you only need 200 seats, that's like 0.00001 of their student body. So mm-hmm. that's what I would recommend, first of all, is get to where you have a lot of, people that can come to the show. The other suggestion is for ease, um, if it's not in where you stay, then get to where you know a lot of people, where you have family, where you have friends, where you have, you know what I mean, where people know you. And not even on a famous level, just like on a popular level. Mm-hmm. So you can invite mm-hmm. those people to the show. You can get some patrons. You know what I'm saying? So that that would be my suggestion. Okay, now here's a big question. I think younger comics who might be listening might take something from this. Because when you start comedy, you just want to be funny, and you don't think about the behind-the-scenes things, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, alcohol costs and things like that, the door deals and things like that. So what kind of advice can you get somebody who's starting a room who's like, I just want to be on stage. Whatever happened at the door happens, you know. Well, if that's your thing, <laughs> then you still have your reason to do it because you have infinite stage time if it's your room. The only people you got to worry about is pissing off other comics for doing so much time. But you can really develop your own brand. And once the crowd is coming to see you, then who's going to get you off stage? You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, if that's what it's about, you know, and then you can get other work in your city by booking other comics in your city or booking comics from out of town. And they're like, yo, I got a room, come do mine. That reciprocation is a really big deal. Um, and and uh, this is show business. So any comic that comes in just focusing on show only is literally handcuffing mm-hmm. themselves to an anchor and throwing it in the ocean. You're just going to sink and drown. You have to understand the business side of it. Nobody who's successful doesn't understand numbers. Every headliner who's getting paid a lot has picked up a calculator to figure out what they should be making somewhere so they know if they're being shorted. So mm-hmm. understand the business side of it. That's what I would say to a new comic. Learn it. You know what I'm saying? If you, if you, in any industry you pick up, you need to learn the industry that you're in. You're in new waters. Figure out how to swim in them. Yeah, and I think you have a, a section in the book for that, like, you know, learning how to manage the money of the room and everything like that and uh, delegate, you know, because you have to pay comics when they come to your room. A lot of people don't know. They act like they don't. <laughs> like, oh, I got to give you something? Like, yes, sir, how you doing? Yeah, they'd be like, uh, let me let me holler at you. Well, I think that <laughs> the let me holler at you moment happens when the headliner is under, or not the headliner, but when the when the promoter or whoever's still in the room is actually hasn't done everything that they can do to make sure that they maximize filling 
putting it, putting butts in seats. You know what I'm saying? So I go through the book, Brian, and there's 26 letters in the alphabet, right? And I break uh-huh. down 20, about four to five topics for each letter, some of them six. Alcohol deals, to door deals, to marketing, to building a team, to uh, comp tickets, papering the room, to how the room should be set up, the way a comic prefers the room to actually be set up. Where are the chairs? Where's the sound? Do you have music? Should you have a live band? Uh, All that is you have very important. Most... Yeah, very important. Very important. A lot of people overlook those things, so I'm glad you mentioned yeah. them and everything like that. They very overlook. glad you The worst thing you can do is get called out on stage, walk out, and the crowd is 25 feet away from the stage with an open dance floor. <laughs> then the disco ball lazy. turning around, strobe like and everything, yeah. smoke. Exactly. <laughs> so, at, 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 but you know, if people don't know, they don't know. They throw a comedy show and they have a comic go up, then a music act, then a comic, then a music act, then a comic, and it's like, what, is this is this a smorgasbord? We need to strengthen. <laughs> we need to strengthen the comedy business and, and and create work for for more people and and have more successful rooms out there, and then we'll have the second comedy boom. There's enough I think so. Here. We are missing that right now because there There's was a big boom some years ago, and it's just like right now, just like ah. Uh, I feel well, like, what happened, I feel well, like what it's difficult the, to get people in. Right. Well, what happened back when there was a comedy boom was there was a huge star, and then and then and then there was nothing after that. It was a big gap. Well, the huge star transferred over to movies or whatever, and then it was wide open in comedy, so everybody started to see well who else was funny, and then about twelve people hit at once. Right. And, right. Uh, well, now we're starting to get to that again. It's starting to get to that again, where you have Kevin at the top, and then you have this big chasm, and then there's a bunch of hilarious people out there, myself, and I won't even put myself first. Rodney, Rodney's class of comics, you know, the, the, the vets that are hysterical, and they should be known worldwide in every household. All right, you know what I mean? So how do we do that? Well, let's make the network. Let's create the rooms. Let's, let's, let's create the, the chitlin circuit, but even on a bigger level. I agree. I agree. I think that's something that, uh, um, you know, even vets and uh, comics that are, are younger and starting right now to take heed to. We all have to have some type of camaraderie, you know. Just because you got this going on don't mean the next person can't have something else going on. I hate Right. And, and that's the thing. A lot of people go, hey, man, there's, you know, there's so many rooms in Chicago. Well, look at Hollywood. you got the Laugh Factory, the Comedy Store. The improv, improv, comedy union—they're all within eight miles of each other. Everybody, everyone's doing well. How many movie theaters are right next to movie theaters? How many restaurants are right next to restaurants? Like business promotes like business. So I'm just trying to pass on that knowledge so that the income, the income and revenue can be generated, and and the entire business will will, will benefit from it. Okay, okay. You know what so I, I wanted to that, ask, man. I wanted to ask, and, and and forget whoever listened. It's, it's me and you. It's me and you. What's the yeah. one, like, secret you have that uh, this is almost foolproof? Like, you know, because social media and everything like that, what's the one method you go to whenever you get a new room started to say this is going to put asses in the seat? Pre-sale tickets. Pre-sale tickets. People don't you kept that. it real simple. They, <laughs> they stand there at the door after telling everyone in the city about it, and they wait for everybody to buy their tickets at the door. Man, they'll be coming. Yeah, they'll be coming. They'll be coming <laughs> any minute now. <laughs> yeah, any minute now. We're going to be telling them jokes to these seats. But if you if you have pre-show tickets, you already can you can assure yourself X amount of seats are full. You can almost you can sell your room out before you even open your doors if you have pre-show tickets, right? 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't have pre-sale tickets. There's, that's just one. And I, and I found that at the Bay when I did my seminar. A lot of guys were like, oh, man, pre-sale tickets. I'm like, what? You guys didn't have pre-sale <laughs> Like all the people, you have a monthly show and you don't have tickets on you for 30 days to be selling? You got 100 seats. <laughs> And you sell three tickets a day because then you'll have 90 before showtime. I think so, some people just don't want to do the legwork of pre-sale tickets, of actually going out and pre-selling the tickets and everything like that. Is well, that a must? Would you say that's a must? I think you do have to have some hustle in you. This is what we decided we want to do. There aren't any baseball players that don't go hit balls on the side. There's no golfers that don't practice. Kobe shoots after games. You've got to put the work in. And, uh, if you if you want to be successful, you're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to go ahead and do it. You know what I'm saying? It's not like comics are people person. We're in front of people every night, reading them, talking to them, learning them, and and, and rocking them. So um, there's that, and there's a lot of different tips in it where somebody's like, man, I really just don't have the time to hit the ground with it. That's fine. Well, then why don't you implore the community and, and have your tickets on sale at barbershops, have your tickets on sale at salons, have your tickets on sale at the at the black-owned restaurant or wherever, whoever, you know, family member owns a restaurant, have your tickets on sale there. Give them a kickback so they benefit off of selling your ticket for you. There's a lot of ways, you know, in the book. I think everybody wants all that money to themselves. If I can get 20 at the door, why am I pre-selling for 15 or 10? Let me try to see if I get all the money I can possibly get. True, yeah, but if, they don't, if you don't sell that ticket, you'll have an empty seat, and an empty seat is zero. And the furthermore, the more an empty seat <laughs> is an echo, and the more empty seats you have, the more uncomfortable it is for the crowd members that did show up. So you want to yeah. have a full room and figure out how to do it. So I literally, Ryan, from topic to topic to topic, give it up. So I have soldoutcomedy.com. You can go there. You can see uh, the video preview, uh, the seminar. The seminar that I just did at the Bay Area Black Comedy Competition and the 125-page ebook will be available. It's available for purchase now on discount for $59 until June 7th. It goes up to 79 and then uh, we'll see what happens from there. But it's available now, and I'll be sending out the first batch of everything on June 5th. So what I'm hoping is people get excited about it and they start to mobilize so that June 5th, when the first wave of stuff comes out, we already have shows going in July. Oh, that's wonderful, man. That's wonderful. First off, I've been to Nate Jackson Seminar when I went to the Bay Area. Very informative, just like it was this evening. So tell everybody. It's called what is it called? Nate Jackson sold out the ABC of a successful comedy room. Yes, yeah, so you can check it out online. No, it's on right now. Please go to the website right now. It's called soldoutcomedy.com. Go check it out. Okay. See why I named it Sold Out. Why can't you have your own Sold Out show? Figure out how to. <laughs> why not? Give, why not? I mean, seriously, it's so easy once you know all the magic is I'm taking all the mystique out of it, Ryan. I'm saying this is how this happens. <laughs> giving it right to you. <laughs> giving it to you. How to I make like my it, money. Let's make something for everybody. I like it. I like it. Uh, Nate, do me a favor once again. Hit everybody with all your info. I know that's very important for us as comics. Hit everybody with every info you got. All right. So my website, my personal website is NateJacksonComedy.com. That's NateJacksonComedy.com. My mm-hmm. Super Funny Comedy Show website is SuperFunnyComedyShow.com, where you can see the largest comedy show on the West Coast. My Twitter and my Instagram are both at Mr. Nate Jackson. And the website for this book and for the seminar and for all of this knowledge I'm giving is Sold Out Comedy. Dot com. Nate, I want to thank you, man. Very informative, and that's what we needed here today. I appreciate that. And thank you for helping me with this takeover of Rodney's radio show. <laughs> Keep it going. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah.
All right, y'all. I guess All that's right. it. They uh, they gonna wrap me up, Nate. I guess that's it. We we done for. <laughs> that's that's a good thing. I got to jump off and do this other live show at noon. So uh, have a blessed day, brother, and have a blessed day for everybody who tuned in and listened. Please go to the website, check it out. Get your money. Yeah. You deserve it. All right, Nate. Be cool, man. I see you grind. Keep working, dog. Already. All right, y'all. I guess that is the end. I have to wrap it up. Uh, for those who don't know what you've been listening to all this time, is Rodney Perry Live. Please stay tuned. Tell somebody sitting there listening by yourself. How silly you look right now. Go tell somebody about the radio show. Get this going so other people can hear this. Comedy, comedy wavelength. That's what I like to call it. Since I didn't pop up and took over. This is your boy, Ryan Evans. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. Please look me up. I'm on Twitter at I am Ryan Evans. Uh, Facebook, Ryan Evans. Instagram, Ryan Evans, R-I-O-N. Don't mess up. My mama gave me that name. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what we like to call the end. Tell somebody I'm out. Thank you very much.